Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 66, Act 1, Carmen Kelly for Vocal Girls, recorded May 7th, 2023. Ooh, yeah, oh. I'm so damn tired of waiting. Perfect A plus B The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie But they don't apply to people Like you and me Let's start it up now 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 now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry, powered by A Space Between. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks so much for listening and supporting this indie podcast. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our global community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast and head over to teachingartistry.org to access episodes, guest bios, e-zines, merch, and more. I hope you've been enjoying Carmen's story as much as I have. In the last episode, episode 65, we realized that her story required more time. And so as promised, we scheduled another session to continue that conversation. And in this episode, we learn more about Carmen's journey as a working actress and how she merged into the theater education field by working as a teaching artist at Creative Arts Team, which is otherwise known as CAT. Here is episode 66, act one, Carmen Kelly for Vocal Girls. Carmen, woo, we are back. Good morning, Courtney, how are you? I'm so, I'm so good. I'm feeling very zen right now, which is, you know, it's sometimes I have to work to feel zen, but right now I'm just feeling zen. So that's a nice thing. I'm feeling zen too, because the sun is out. And it's come back and it's two days of sun, I which I love. <laughs> I love too. Like that last weekend was crazy and wet and this weekend has been a delight. So that might be part of my, my positive mood. Um, it's a delight to see you, my dear. You too, my love. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. I, I like our dates. Yeah. This is wonderful. Good. It really, really is. It's great. Um, we had a wonderful conversation last time. And I'm looking forward to continuing it. Um, so thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. 
Excellent. Me too. I'm happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Um, I want to pick up where we left off, which was um, you you attending um, or, or doing the program at Educational Theater Program, uh, the grad program, and your experience as a well a, a, a well-practiced practitioner by the time you were going in and you just told a little a little story before we started recording can you tell why did you make the choice to go in to get your master's when you already had a wealth of experience um good question um it's funny because if i was to dial back i'd always wanted to go to grad school at nyu when I first landed in New York, one of the reasons why I came to New York in the first place was to study acting and to be a professional actor. So at the time, and we will probably launch into this a little more, um, I had applied for grad school and I got accepted to Tisch, but I made the option, I had the option to not do that and take the professional job for color girls because I figured I would get more experience then I go back to grad school. Mm-hmm. And so I, my career, my acting career took off. So it was like, ah, here's an opportunity to go back and do my graduate work like I always wanted to do, which was a dream of mine. It's only that the focus was a little different. It was now theater education versus just primarily um, acting, mm-hmm. um, doing a getting a graduate degree in acting. So that is kind of how I made that launch. And also too, I think I had in the back of my head, you know, my mother being a Southern woman. And it's always the thing because I was the first model in my family to actually, when I, every time I told my family I was studying theater in New York and everybody's head went like, you're doing what? And, and, and how are you gonna make a living? And how are you going to, because I was from a long line of teachers and all of the professions and ministers and and doctors and all of those professions that are at the time guaranteed a certain amount of money that you would know you would have a job. So I had to always explain myself why um, I was studying theater. And also my mother had given a little seed and she gave it to my brother and I both. We were just talking about this the other day. Mm-hmm. Always have something to fall back on, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And what she meant by that was, uh, if you need to go into education, you can have that background and you'll have the tools to do that or whatever. Uh, always be able to have basically some income coming in when during the lean times or times of difficult. And it was great wisdom for her. I mean, for me, I was very rebellious about it. It was like, but mom, no, I'm not going to need, I'm not going to need that. But it was always that. But I think somewhere during that period that that those seeds of wisdom came up. So I jumped at the opportunity to go to grad school and be, I was working full time at the creative arts team during that time. So my schedule was insane. And when I tell you insane, I was waking up Saturday morning to go, I had a, you know, a puppet class to make puppets. <laughs> insane, I mean, to go do that, coming back around, writing papers that I had to write, asking one of my colleagues at my job to be my reader, 
because, you know, to have fresh eyes on my papers, because I, I, it looked good to me, but I said, you know, would you please read this for me? She would read it and mark it up. You got to go back. And she was an English major, so it helped me a lot. Um, but it was, it was gruesome. It was, it was challenging because I worked full time. And you know what it's like to work full time in an you know, arts and education world. It's like, that's not full time. Eight hours is 16. Everything is doubled. <laughs> so um, I really, it was, it was a point where it also gave me a look at theory. I had the practice. It gave me a look at theory, you know, what is this about? I was able to, you know, move into a lot of the, even though I had a lot of rich history from Chris Vine about Boal and all of that, you know, um, it gave me a wonderful opportunity. Okay, let me go look at some of the theory that our practice is based on or where it started and what is it about. And I love you know, I was always like a vessel. I want to know more. What else can I learn from this? What more can I learn? How can I make sure that I'm integrating my arts and education world together in a richness, making sure I do that, that I don't leave out the practice, but I have all of that aligned where I can call on that at any other, any time that I need to, you know, and why am I doing this? Why, what makes me in my work, my artistic work, why am I doing this? What is it, where do I, where does this draw from? So it's like having that historical, historical kind of context. So I was excited about grad school when I went and when I started. It's just that um, pieces of it, I had to kind of like, hmm, let me think about this for a minute. You know, I was very vocal in my education, you know, in terms of you know, Fieri's, you know, is, is one of the first to say, you know, um, you place yourself in the center of that. How do you gauge that and make sure you're getting what you want? It's not like a banking system where people just throw stuff in you. You know, it's about as well, it's that kind of give and take. Mm. So I was very much on the pulse of speaking out, being vocal, talking about things um, that I thought were relevant, adding another layer to things. Um, you know, bringing forth um, people of color who and diversity within my classroom um, when I could, you know, without stepping on someone's toes or feeling like, you know, I wasn't, you know, crossing anybody's boundaries or anything. So I enjoyed that part of it. I really, really did. I enjoyed it quite a bit, being able to have that opportunity from my professors who were open to me going in that route and doing those things. I like what you said about wanting to bring in the theory on which I've been building my practice on. Can we talk about the practice for a second? You wanted to go to grad school. You were thinking it would be Tish, but you took um, for colored girls. So I want to know more about the tour. And then when, when did you find your way to CAT? Like I said, originally having graduated from Spelman, my whole goal was to be a professional actor. Nobody in my family had done that. I was going to, except for my long distance cousin, Paula Kelly, and I, whom I met when I was quite young, who was an extraordinary dancer on Broadway and all of that. Anyway, I 
started working professionally, and I'm trying to remember if I can think back. Um, Jess, it's it's so interesting, Courtney, because I remember auditioning, and I remember the stages I went through, um, and I, and I can share those with you a little bit. Um, NYU was not, when I first came to New York, I was grounded in a program at NYU. And it was in the summer and I had not finished Spelman yet. And I really loved what they were offering because they gave you a choice. You could go to Strasburg, you could go to, um, let me see, um, where, where were all the other smaller entities of, of study that you went. I ended up going to the Actors and Directors Lab which was quite wonderful, which is was directly across the street from where I live now. <laughs> so I've come full circle. But you had this option to study kind of like in a conservatory in all these different places for a short length of time in the summer. So that was my first touch of, oh, wow, I get trained at NYU. This is going to really boost my acting career, which is going to be wonderful, right? Um, when I took the tour, the tour was wonderful because it really gave me an opportunity to really develop my skills. You know, and I was a young actor and to tour, and we literally toured for almost two years. It was a national tour. So all my skills got de way developed. Um, you know, there were times we were doing a black box. There were times we were doing theater in the round. There were times we were doing all that we had to make those huge adjustments. We were working with mics, not working with mics, um, all of that. And if you know anything about the show, there's no intermission. So once we hit the stage, that was it full out till the show was over. And, and you're on stage for like a significant, no matter what character, right? You're on stage for a significant amount of time because time, if, you're right? not, if you're not monologuing, you're supporting, right? In choreography and yeah. Oh. Yes, because there, there was no set. The set was a flower, a big flower in the back. So everything we did and particularly the director, Reggie Life, who directed it, he had us, like you said, we were either doing choreography or we were in representing a character uh, within the, that part of the monologue, you know, that was being, being done. Um, so it was really very interesting to, 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 you know, to have that experience. I loved it because it propelled my love for the craft as well as helped me develop my experience and my confidence. So when I came back off tour, which is so interesting. Um, I worked a lot. I um, was able to get my SAG card. Um, I got my SAG card from an audition I happened to go in on. And this is, you know, I was always so curious. I didn't have a lot of money, but I went to the drama bookstore and I read a book set on the floor in the old drama bookstore. You could sit on the floor and read books and read plays because, you know, they wouldn't throw you out. It's kind of how like Starbucks used to be way back when and all the little libraries used to be way back when you, you know, just sit there, you read, read, read. I remember reading, I picked up a book, how to audition for a commercial. And I, cause I said, I need to do a commercial. Cause I was told that there's a lot of money in commercials. <laughs> I literally sat 
and read this book from cover to cover. And when I finally got my first audition for commercial, and I'll tell you how I got it. This is where my, my background and my Spelman background comes into play. They were doing an article on HBCUs and they wanted to do a whole thing on the history of it. And at the time, the person at Spelman wanted to use women that were in the arts that were living in New York. And I was chosen to do this, you know, this whole article and this whole thing when they took pictures of us in 1800 gear in front of computers down at Wall Street. That's when the computers were like, this This was like the early, this is like, this was like mid eighties. They were gigantic. And it was so wonderful to do that, to go get dressed and, you know, the costume and all of that. But I was very smart because the woman that did the advertisement was from, I'm going to think the advertising agency. I was smart enough to go talk to her. And I told her I was an inspiring actor. And I said, I would love to audition for the casting director who's at your advertising agency. And she was, she said, oh, absolutely, Carmen. Sure enough, she set up an interview with me. I went in and I read, this is so funny when I went in there, Courtney, because Frank Salomon, if I can remember his name, yes. He was talking to me and he was, you know, getting ready before I got ready to read some copy. And I know he was just so interesting. How does this black girl know the, <laughs> the head of the advertising? Where does that come from? I'm sure it was in go because you could tell on his face, he was like, this is interesting, but I, I was told to interview her, so I'm going to do that. And I read some copy. He was very lovely and all of that. And th- after I read the copy, I got called back in to audition for a commercial. And believe it or not, when I walked in the room, that book I had read, how to, you know, find your mark, mm. all of that slate. I had read in the book. Mm-hmm. Make a long story short, I booked the commercial. It was a publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes commercial. I made a lot of money from it. I was so happy. It was, it was the one thing my mother was so excited about that she could finally tell her friends, this is what my daughter is doing in New York. Because it was on television. She could see it. It made sense. Because all the plays I had been doing, she was like, you're doing what? What show? <laughs> can I will I see it no mom it's live theater you know that kind of thing but um interesting enough I say all of this to say from my tour from touring in for color girls it gave me the confidence to be able to do these things now to navigate what that was the role of trying to be an actor a professional actor and working um in the field and all of that, which was very exciting. Got my SAG card, got, had already had my after card because it was already separated. Mm-hmm. My father gave me that as a gift when it was still an open, um, you, could, you could join. It was, yeah, it was, it was open. You could join for $300. Mm-hmm. So that's how far back it go. After, that was a gift. He said, this is your gift. I'm gonna give you $300 to mm-hmm. join after. And then you're on your own. <laughs> but what, I mean, what a way to support you. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I had to make sense of it. Once he gave it to me. <laughs> Listen, Courtney, my father, my father was so funny. When I told him I was coming to New York for the summer, yeah. he laughed and he said, okay, baby, you are probably good. He said, where are you going to get the money? I said, well, daddy, I'm going to save my money from lifeguarding and working at the, you know, and I'm going to go. He said, tell you what, I'll match whatever you save. And I literally saved about $600. That was a lot then. Mm. But I was making like $6 an hour, which was top of the line back then. And my father matched it. The look on my dad's face when I told him how much I had was, she's serious about this. Mm. And he gave me money to, you know, that was my support to do that. And when I tried to find dormitory space at NYU, there was none. So I ended up finding this place called um, Parkside Evangeline, which my brother found. Mm -hmm. I literally came in New York City and in three days, I moved into a woman's residence that my brother found. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is where my spirituality comes in. It was divine mm -hmm. for me to be there. I could walk to classes at NYU or walk to, you know, it was so, it was divine. It really, really was. But anyway, going back to the whole thing with touring and doing Colored Girls, it propelled my, my acting career. And I went from auditioning for the national commercial, booking it, getting my side card um, from that, moving into um, working on all kinds of films, um, finally making a, a bigger leap to doing daytime drama um, on Guiding Light. I had a role in Guiding Light in basically, first I went from one set to the next. I was in the, um, the journal room and I was a journalist there. And uh, which was wonderful because it was an under five part that I got. What, is that, what does under five part mean? Well, there's, a, there's levels when you do television. Under five means you have no more than five lines, but they're speaking lines. And after five, you move to day player. Day player means that you don't have a contract yet, but that means you're on more often. So they, they see you in that, in that role. Then you become a contract player. So that's how it works. It works in that. So I was very excited about that because the money was very good. Mm -hmm. But on, on Guiding Light, I worked on Guiding Light a lot. Um, and then they, then they changed sets. And I went from, I went to another set, which was the hospital. I played a lot of nurses. It was homage to my mother, who was a nurse at first. If you don't know, uh, Guiding Light was a soap opera that was on for many, many decades. Yes. yes. So, it might still be on for all I know, but... I feel like the bold and the beautiful are still, is still on, but I don't know if it's, you know, my stories. It's interesting, Courtney. I worked on all of them. There were five mm -hmm. and the other five were in LA. And here's what's interesting about the soaps and daytime dramas, which is soap operas, as they call them, mm -hmm. the soaps. Um, this is before reality television. So all the risque behavior, you know, this one being having a baby from the other man and so much adultery murder, espionage. Oh, oh. So you had all of that, that risque behavior. That's why they survived as long as they did. And the originality, originally when they did them, they, it was to support women that were home. Procter and Gamble were, you know, the lead producers on it is because it was for housewives. It was housewives and it was the commercials, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, where it started from. But that was kind of like a way that I propelled, you know, I got a chance to move around that. And I love film and television because it was easy. You know, you could go in there, boom, not like a play because, you know, you got to, oh, okay. I was loving it. So film and television was like a, a real hook for me. But here's how I made the leap over to Cat and from all of that and working. Um, and my career that I was doing at the time. Um, Cause I did a lot of industrial films. I did a short little film about safety belts and you know, cars, a lot, a lot of industrials did come several voiceovers during that time. I happened to be, I was going to see a play at the public theater and Gwendolyn Hardwick who was the artistic, she wasn't artistic yet. She was one of the program directors at CAT. I knew Gwendolyn from just Black theater in and of itself, the work she had been doing, work that she, other artists that she had been working with. Um, also, my love for poetry, which was Alexis DeVoe, who was writing all kinds of books at the time. So I knew Gwendolyn and I ran into her and I asked her what she was doing and she told me, and she gave me her card. And the card had creative arts team on it. Da, 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 da. And I said, I'm going to call you. And she said, yes, call me, you know, send me your resume. I said, okay. Um, I was at a point in my career where I was loving my work as an actor, but it also, there were challenges there because I like being able to have income coming in. So during this whole time, I worked as well. I had jobs. You know, like I said, I've come full circle. I used to lifeguard here in my building. Um, I had other jobs where I worked as a hostess. The thing that really pushed me forward was I was working as a temp. And Courtney, I was not a very good temp. <laughs> I did not have the skills. I did not have the typing skills that most temps have that can have the glory jobs at it. I worked as a temp at a law firm. <laughs> what made me decide to do that? I have no idea. Anyway, without getting into a long story, I was answering the phone and you know, they had those things where you clip the, the board like this, the, 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 I guess they call it the um, dashboard where you click. Yes, 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 yes. So I was doing it the first times, the first couple of days, um, first couple of hours, I, I was trained. They train you the day before. I mean, they train you the day of, rather. Yeah, yeah. I was in there, Courtney, and I was trying to do, it was like early, good morning, da-da-da-da-da, law firm, one moment. Good morning, da-da-da-da-da, law firm, good morning. Passing it. All of a sudden, Courtney at nine o'clock. The console lit up like a Christmas tree. I lost my mind. I was sending wrong phone calls to wrong attorneys. I couldn't do it. The lady came out, one of the attorneys came out. She said, and I can quote this because it was traumatic for me. What is she doing? Why is she here? I just, I mean, the way she spoke to me was so insulting. And I remember saying to myself, <laughs> my mother did not send me to New York 
I am a Spellman woman. <laughs> I am so above this. <laughs> to be just talked to like this, I'm not going to deal with this. I put my wrap on, my scarf, and I was getting ready to leave. And she said, where are you going? I said, I'm leaving. She said, no, you're not. You can't. I said, watch me. I walked out the door and I never looked back, not at a temp agency ever again. Went to Central Park, had my good girlfriend, Janice Astavalier, playwright. Her was at Cat with me for many, many years. We went to Central Park, sat on the top of the hill and put our resumes and cover letters together to go to Cat. <laughs> and we just, I was so, I was so, I had to call the agency. I was in tears. And you know, you had to, that was the pay phone you called. And I said, I can't do it. I can't. And I was just in tears. I was so hurt, so devastated. I thought that this is just, I can't do it. I'm not going to survive at being an actor. I can't work these jobs. And we literally sat there, wrote our, our resumes, cover letters. And at the time, Kat was doing a big hiring. And my girlfriend Janice got called in first because she was bilingual and they were looking for somebody bilingual. And then eventually I got the call from Gwen to come and audition, which was an all day audition. Yes. Boy, those were long auditions. Oh, I remember. Oh, yes. That's where I picked up my artistry and I became a teaching artist and loved it. But it also became a, the beauty of what I kind of wanted mixing two things I loved, which was, I loved teaching from, I had, which I had done since I was a lifeguard and teaching swimming, I already had that in my DNA. And now I was mixing the two with my love for the craft and art, you know, the artistry, the art that comes along with theater, putting them together. And I thought it was like, oh, wow, I never heard of this before. This is amazing. <laughs> I didn't know this even existed, you know? Um, which was great, which was really, really wonderful. I had no idea. It's, it's amazing how you don't know the different paths you can go. And I finally realized, oh, this is a path I can go. I could carve out. And it was history ever since. And that's how I landed at the Creative Arts team, which was at the time in residence at New York University, where it started from, where it originated from, you know, which grad students, which was the, our executive director, Linda Zimmerman, you know, um, where it all started from. She decided to create something that she had seen in, in England, which was kind of, um, you know, bolstered by what Chris Vine was doing over there with the Greenwich, you know, um, I guess the Greenwich Theater at the time and all of that. Cause you know, London and, and, and in Europe, they were far ahead of us. They have been doing this kind of work long time before we were. And Kat were, was really the pioneers in arts and education and bringing it to them, the United States and all of that. So I have much gratitude for learning all of that and being so excited about coming into an organization that really, really um, honored the craft honored um, a sense of diversity and, and realness and all of that. But we had to push, I mean, there was some resistance and we pushed through to do that. 
you know, which is quite interesting. I thought about this and I wanted to share this with you anyway. I remember going to our first AATE conference and Courtney was Lily White. Everybody that was performing and having workshops and all of that, it was very white. And I looked around, I said, wow, this is interesting. Where are the black people, <laughs> you know? And the black people were cat. We brought the diversity in with all of our teaching artists that were coming in and it was all of us. And we used to be, you know, 10 to 15 deep going. And that was always a conversation we used to always have in any of those planetary things that they had. Where's the diversity? What's not happening? What, how can you say you're doing this work and you're not, it's not inclusive. And it's very interesting when I, when I, in those early days, when we go back and we look at it and where it, you know, um, because I think it also was, it, it stems from the history of CAT that I think one of the things Linda had in mind in the early days is that she wanted the teaching artists and we took this on as directors to reflect the kids that we were serving. You had to have that on some level. You know, it was very powerful to do that, to have that reflection giving, you know, to go into a classroom and the kids see someone who looks like them, you know, it's very, very, very powerful. And it doesn't take anything away from great practitioners that are white. It's just that it's wonderful to honor that cultural piece of the work that we do, you know? So I was always very excited about that. You know, when even in my days of being a director and interviewing and auditioning, teaching artists to come in, I was all about, let me make sure my, my folks are diverse. Let me make sure I got, the black girl, the black boy, the Asian. Let me see if I got, okay, I got the white girl. I got the white, <laughs> let me see if it's all, I got it all mixed up in here. Oh, Native American, this is good. Oh, I got, you know, all in, all the go into the gumbo. And you know, when a gumbo is delicious, it has all those ingredients in there. So that was one of the things I really, really stressed. And I really, really, I mean, we really used to, literally have long sought out auditions. And I can go back and, and tell you how we used to do it as directors. We would turn the pictures over and we see each program, elementary program. Um, it was, you know, the, our younger pre-K, I mean, kindergarten, or as we would have our young high school, middle school, all the different names that we had, we would flip them over and we would, go through it with each other. And we, this was our way of also talking because my other, other directors that were white, we would say, wait a minute, you don't have anybody of color in your group. This is not gonna roll. You gotta get somebody in there. And literally we would say, you gotta have a second audition. You gotta get more people in there. Mm -mm. It's not a reflection of, you gotta do it. So right in that small little, our own little rooms that we were working, that was where 
we even begin to push the envelope and talk about diversity and really, really push that envelope. And even with Chris Vine, you know, you had Linda, you had Chris Vine. And at one point, the directors, we were like, Chris, you need, we, 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 we need somebody black up in here. <laughs> and we could talk to him like that, you know, like, this is not gonna fly. And when he said, we gotta do a search for somebody who's talented enough to do it, I said, or in other words, he didn't know how to do that reach out. I said, Chris, I'm sure there's tons of people waiting to take on the associate or either the assistant artistic director or to work or assistant education to work. We need that voice. And that's where Mitchelline Fletcher came in. Mitchelline came in through that, which we were thrilled about because Mitchelline had done a graduate work in, you know, at NYU. So she knew all the bases of that and had a rich background already um, coming in, which was very exciting to have her come on board. So exciting because she really changed the, the whole culture, shifted that a little bit of that. Because there was only so much, as much as I love Chris, you know, he was a white European guy. There's only so much he could do to understand the fabric of that. But he was always open for that, the shift in that, um, which is very interesting. And I'm telling you some of the tales of, of the creative arts team and the love, but also I'm telling you the tales that, that um, the foundation of it, where, where it all came from. And in those early years when they were doing the plays where they would take a full length play out to a school to do, um, which was quite interesting. That it was on its tail end when I came in, but before I got there, that was a big thing because there's not an actor that I know you know, even in my building and actors I've talked to that have not come through CAD. Everybody came through CAD. Everybody on, on a lot of levels came through CAD. By the way, I'm not bitter, but not me. Courtney, I don't know how I did. Did I interview you? Okay, Carmen, I'm going to tell you the story. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it was you. I, I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing what I think is you as the person, but I went through that. I went through the all day audition and a callback. And I remember the, the different sectors being laid out. And I had come at that point, most of my experience was, was with early childhood. And I remember somebody who I think was you, <laughs> but I don't want to say exactly, but it was a beautiful black woman who was like, Corday, <laughs> aren't, don't you want to be in high school? And I was like, oh, I don't have experience. I'm, and I think I said, I'm afraid. And you were like, mm. <laughs> and I didn't get an offer. I did not get an offer. I don't know if that's the reason. I'm just saying I didn't get an offer. <laughs> it probably was. I was trying to get you. That probably was why, because I was always trying to get the black girls. Mm. And you not know, only because not only because I just went. I love black women. I remember again. I can't. I I think it was you. It had to have been you. But I didn't know, like my my memory is of this person who I was like, she seems so awesome. <laughs> and I, you know, I would, it would be great to work for her. But I would, at the time I just had no, I had zero experience in the high schools. So I was really like, Oh, I don't, 
I don't know if that's for me. You should have said yes. I should have said, you know what? I should have said yes. However, however, two, two, like a year later, I was working at roundabout and I still was like, what am I getting myself into? But by that point I had the internship. So I had experience a different kind of entry point into working with high school students that wasn't as a teaching artist, but so that by the time I was working for them as a teaching artist, I felt more confident, but it still took some time. And now I love working in high schools, but like at the time I like, I had just so had little, no experience. And I just felt like I, this might be my lane. And you know, what really confused me. And, and if you have the ability to help me is why there wasn't crossover. Why couldn't you work on different projects? Okay, that's a good question. I'm going to tell you why. Because it allowed us to hone into really, because in high school, it was a story. You know, all of our curriculum was based on a story. We tried to keep as much of the elements of theater in it. So that if, granted, somebody got sick, that role, you couldn't do the role. And we worked in threes intentionally. Gwendolyn set it up. And whereas if there was someone out, you know, you still could carry those two as familiar, you understand? So it was really about keeping the fabric of the storyline true, even all the way with the um, early early education with the puppets and all of that. It was a story that they wanted to keep and honor and to make, you know, make it make sense and keeping those theater elements. And that is why, now granted, if it got to be a challenging thing, we may have pulled from another area to do that, to be able to do that. But I know you know now from just your experience that the facilitation piece of that, like you said, you knowing the babies and the little ones and that's all you knew, it is very transferable. You tweak it here, you tweak it there, you simplify it for the younger ones, you make it a little more complex. And, you know, for the middle school and and high school, you know, the the complexity goes there. The little ones, you dissect it, you take it apart, you make it very simple for them. You know, now you know that. But, you know, at the time, you probably felt, oh, now I'll I will fail and you didn't want to probably didn't want to fail. Yeah. I wanted to thrive. I wanted to thrive and I had, I hadn't been teaching in this kind of way. So, you know, when I think about it now, I don't look back and regret at all. I really think it was such a, it was a huge learning curve for me. And I, the whole experience, I'd never had an experience like that at that point. I was literally coming out of left field in a, in a, you know, very education based lane and coming into and not even like a formal education. It was, I was working in the daycare center, the community-based centers. And so coming into to this artist space and like reclaiming myself as an artist was a huge step for me at the time. And then on top of this saying, and, and I want to teach when I, when what I have been doing is just basically mimicking other people <laughs> um, and, and instinct. And now I want, you know, if I could be in this world, you know, the, 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 um, the draw, the initial draw, to be honest with you, the initial draw was that uh, you got a tuition probate if you were working there. And I was like, I'm taking out all these loans. If I don't have to take out all these loans, that would be amazing. 
<laughs> um, and then I, I auditioned and I made some friends out of that experience. So that was, that was, you know, overall, that was really great. And I want to point out a few things. I want to point out a few things. So I want to go back just for, for one hot second that um, when, when you talked about the commercial publishers clearinghouse, that company was housed in my hometown and like half of our town, half of the teens and like the town worked at publishers clearinghouse. <laughs> I would work there during my breaks in, in college and my sister worked there for like seven or eight years. Um, so that's one Two, the, the, your father like doubling, you know, matching your, your funds to do the NYU program when you were younger. Um, when I was in grad school, my dad did this, something similar where he, I really wanted to do the summer abroad program. And he was like, you know, for the, cause I, I, I done everything by myself. Right. And he was like, you know what, I'll pay for that tuition. So you can, cause I wanted to also travel. And he's like, so that you don't have to deal with that. I'll pay for this. And then I'll, you can, you can deal, you know, you can figure out your travel post. And that was really, that was really nice. Cause it was like credits are not cheap. <laughs> and when I told him, he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, thanks dad. Uh, yeah. And so much. And then the, and then this last bit in terms of like coming into and being made aware of the, that like this, this lane, this work, this practice, this field, just yeah. that, that like, I could see like the light shining on you're like, oh, yes, like a moth to a flame. Like, oh my God, I found it. I found it. And I, for me, I, I very vividly remember that audition process because it was my first entry point into this field. And yes, yeah. I didn't get hired, but it was still such a great experience because for me, it really was like, oh, look what's possible this is bigger than I think I, I understood even when I applied for this program and I cannot wait to learn more. And then the last thing I want to say is that, um, you know, a lot of, uh, people who are known as like big, you know, leaders in this field worked for cat, as you said, Russell Granite, who's the president of new 42. Now my boss, um, Edie Dimas, who hired me at the new victory was a part of cat for a long time and initially built the program that I helm, um, uh, you know, modeled off of Kat's process of having multiple, you know, teams of folks working together at every, so every, every, uh, almost everything that we do at the new victory, regardless of the program is collaboratively, um, either collaboratively designed and implemented or collaborated collaboratively designed and then supported by individuals doing if it's the lobby for example but mostly people are working together in teams of two across all of our programs and that's you know that's uh, there's another program that's also like that where they they pair up with a with a classroom teacher and coach them but that's that's mostly it's pairs so you know there's a huge a huge component like you said, being a pioneer creative arts team, bringing all that knowledge from Europe and London into the, the States and then seeing how that has manifest and impacted and rippled across the field in the various communities and sectors that we're working in. Uh, it, it's real. It's really real. It's, it's very interesting. And, and it's funny because Nancy Switzel, Nancy was a good, good, good friend of Linda's. And this is going back that program has a, 
a trip that they take. They travel to Europe to do what, whatever it is, to London, whatever. I think they, it still exists. You're talking about the summer abroad program? Yes. Yeah, the, there would be one in London. There was one in Ireland. Uh, and they've done a couple other uh, places like Puerto Rico. And there's one in Argentina one time. And they had to, Linda tells a story, she had to really convince Chris to come because he had to uproot himself from everything. Mm. But he was smart enough to put into his, his contract. Well, I need to bring my wife or I need to bring, <laughs> which was Helen. <laughs> so he, he wasn't going to come. So, the, so that was a package deal when they came. I still have far, I have fond memories of Chris sitting down and we were at NYU and him in a pair of jelly sandals. Remember the jelly sandals? Yes. I thought he was one of the coolest. I said, this is a real cool white boy. I said, he's wearing jelly sandals. What man is going to put on a pair of jelly sandals? I don't know if he's doing, but they were clear jelly sandals, but he was working. And when I tell you the way he used to work and strip down because he got hot, I thought I used to love that. I have fond memories. Those are the early days of learning this craft and learning what this work was, doing Boal's work was like, I was like, oh, yes, this is, I like this. We getting ready to get dirty. We getting dirty up in here, which is very powerful because theater should have that powerful kind of mm, feel to it. You know what I'm saying? Um, in that sense. And that was one of the things that really drew me in is, and we'll talk more about why that, like you said, my aha moment and the lane opening up and the things that really drew me in. Thank you for listening to episode 66, act one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Carmen Kelly for Vocal Girls. Join us next time for act two. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Find us on Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast and on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.